everybody, hit the music. Hello everyone and welcome to the Top Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie. I'm Nora Germain. And I'm a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter. Nora's the best violin player in the world and you're going to hear us chat to many different people. But more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within arguably the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, on Audio Boom, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, uh, let them know what's going on over here. Walk up to an old lady on the street, punch her in the face, and say, download Scott's podcast. It's all good, but for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week on the podcast, Ray Luzia. Nora, do you know who that is? That's the drummer from Corn. Duh. Don't duh me. I'll do you right out of that window. Anyway, Nora, a lot to talk about, okay? Thanks to everybody for emailing in questions for Ray. Thanks to everybody for emailing in things in general. And we're going to get right down to the emails and give all the appropriate shout-outs, okay? Coming up, we've got Ray. He's a total legend on the drums. That's all coming up. But listen very clearly, okay? We're going to also, at the end of this podcast, announce who's going to be on next week. And without question... It's one of the biggest names that we've had yet. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Nora, listen. You listening to me? Of course. Right. We've had an email in from Tom, right? And Tom says... Where's Tom from? You always say where they're from. Tom is from Middlesbrough, if you must know. Okay? Where's that? Middlesbrough is down south. It's down in England. It's the northeast, I think. Well, hello then, Tom. Okay, now, Nora sa- uh, Tom says, Nora is hot. There you go, Nora. Oh, thank you, Tom. Right. And he's asking about different chat-up lines or pickup lines, they would call them in America. What pickup lines slash chat-up lines would impress Nora? Now, Nora obviously has a reputation of sleeping with a lot of people, right? So, with that in mind, Nora, what I've got in front of me is a bunch of different chat-up lines. In fact, is that a term that translates to America? Do you guys say pick-up lines? Yeah, we say pick-up lines. Right. Or come-ons. Come-ons or pick-up lines. We like yeah, pick-up yeah. lines. We'll go with that, right? No, so, this is good that you're asking me. I'm a regular Frank Sinatra, so I'm glad that you're leaving it to the pros here. Right, okay, here we go. I've got a bunch of pick-up lines, and you're going to tell me what ones are good and what ones are not. But to make it interesting, we'll play it out. So I'll say the line, and if you, if this is a line that would impress you, you're going to say, or if it's a line that wouldn't impress you, you're going to say, take a hike. And if it does impress you, you're going to say, keep talking, baby. Okay. Right? Now, to make it a, as a full-on organic conversation, right, I'm going to say, excuse me, and you react by saying hi, and then I'll deliver the line, right? <laughs> Okay. Right, here we go. Excuse me. Hi. Do you know what this shirt is made of? Boyfriend Take material. Hike. <laughs> you didn't even listen to the line. The shirt was so bad, I didn't even care. Fucking hell. Right. And for anybody that didn't hear that, what is this shirt made of? 
boyfriend material. That's a good line. That's so bad. I've heard it before too. So just it's yeah. Here we go. Excuse me. Hello. I want to live in your socks so I can be with you every step of the way. Take a hike. Excuse me. Yes. If you were a vegetable, you'd be a cute cumber. Keep talking, baby. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is your sorry? Excuse me. Yes. Hello. Is your daddy a baker? Because you've got... Oh, no, in fact, I'm not even going to say that. Right. Uh, next one. Excuse me. Yes. I seem to have lost my phone number. Can I have yours? Uh, take a hike. Excuse me. Yes. Fine, gentlemen. If, if, if God made anything more beautiful than you... I'm sure he'd keep it for himself. Uh, keep talking, I guess. Excuse me. What? Did you invent the aeroplane? Because you seem right for me. Uh, take a hike. Excuse me. Yes? Are you an orphanage? Because I want to give you kids. Take a hike! Yes! Please take a hike! Oh, God. Excuse me. Yes. You know, I'm sorry, I don't think we've met. I wouldn't forget a pretty face like that. Um... Keep talking, if you hadn't said it like that. Excuse me. Yes? Does your left eye hurt? Because you've been looking right all day. Mm, take a hike. <laughs> Excuse me. Yes? Do you live in a cornfield? Because I'm stalking you. Keep talking. Right, you have to answer. You have to answer as you would normally answer for this one, right? Excuse me. Hi, how you doing? Can I have directions? To where? To your heart. I like that one. Keep talking. Nice one. Excuse me. Hey. I'm not drunk. I'm just intoxicated by you. Blame. Uh, take a hike. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to continue this shit after the interview. And remember, we're also going to reveal who is on next week. One of the biggest names we've had. But in the meantime, the drummer, the awesome drummer, Ray Luzier, for one of the biggest bands on planet Earth right now. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast, and joining me now is drumming sensation, Ray Luzier. How are you, sir? Sensation, yes. <laughs> I'm great. So um, your day off on tour, it doesn't seem quite like a day off, because you're doing some interviews, and of course, you were telling me, how many stuff, how many things have you signed today? 
Yeah, we just had to, um, we just got our, our beautiful photo book in to celebrate Corn's 20th years, you know, and uh, it's awesome. It's like, it's some beautiful shots in there by, you know, legendary photographers like Nils Lozauer that's done decades and decades of great musicians to Sebastian Paquette that he's art traveling for the last, you know, this is my ninth year starting in Corn, and he's been with Corn over 10 years now. So um, we... Uh, the pre-orders, we whoever pre-ordered it was lucky enough to get a signed copy. So we thought we were at a couple hundred pre-orders, maybe. Well, it was just 640 pre-orders. So we're, uh, my right hand's hurting today, uh, the day off. So um, how have the shows been this year so far then? You've played a lot of different festivals. You're obviously just about to embark on another bunch of gigs. Uh, how, have the, how have the reactions been in the audience? How has it been generally? It's good. You know, we, we usually hit the, the previous years, we've gone out way too long. I mean, it's like we kind of kill ourselves. You know, we play the big festivals and then we sprinkle in all these club dates and maybe some theaters and then to link to the next group of festivals. This year, we decided, hey, look, we all have families, we all have kids, we want to spend more time with them. Let's just do the festivals, fly back home for eight days, do another three festivals, fly back home. So it's been a lot of airplanes this year, but we've got to see our family a lot more, you know. So, um, it, it kind of wipes you out. As you can see now, I barely have a voice in three weeks of this in the States. You know, I'm, <clears throat> the bus is in the, this is my 22nd hotel in 22 days. So it's like, after a while, you, you know, but we love it. I mean, we, we love what we do and we love to travel and play for the fans. And uh, so it's, it, it's not, the work is this, it's the traveling. The work is not the stage or creating the music and all that. It's, it's everything in between. It's the other 22 and a half hours, you know. So, um, but so far this year, the shows have been going great. Um, we started writing a new record and uh, actually recorded some. So we're in the process of doing that now, too. So we only have one more week left of the States. And then we do Asia. We do three days over there, uh, Taipei, Singapore, and Tokyo. And then we, we're done for the year. We we'll probably won't play until February. So we're really going to focus hard on this new record. Great stuff. Now, take us back to when you were studying music, because you went to the Musicians Institute in Los Angeles, right? Correct, yeah. I grew up in a big, you know, small town in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. There's no music scene back there. And uh, I, I knew at a very young age, probably my early teens, that I'd be doing this for the rest of my life. So, you know, you either have to go to Nashville, New York, or L.A. to really pursue it, um, to get discovered. So my guitar player from my local band at the time talked me into going clear to Hollywood, California, because he wanted to go to GIT and I wanted to go to PIT. So never thought I'd pass the entrance exam. We passed, you know, barely, and, uh, you know, 2,600 miles trek, you know, with a van and U-Haul and, you know, marshals and kick drums hanging out the back and uh, went, to, went to the one-year program over there, which was very intense. You know, it's uh, it's... it's kind of indescribable they, they cram a lot, you know for rock and metalhead like myself i didn't know jazz i didn't know latin i didn't know funk reggae all those different styles i heard of them but when you grow up in a big area like that you just know what's on the radio and what you like what you're attracted to so mi was great to open my ears and, and eyes to many different styles you know and still to this day i look back at the curriculum you know, so Excellent. So that, that was that would be something that you would recommend then for young aspiring musicians to go ahead to a program like that. You know, it's 
2015 is a lot different than 88 when I went. You know, it's it's. I don't know if I what I'd say these, these days. It's really hard to even start a band. You know, um, in 2015, I'm exhausted just thinking about. <laughs> if I was a young kid with you know that was on fire as much as I was back in the day, you know, wholeheartedly you have to believe, really believe, in what you want to do. Like any profession, you have to you know sink into it with 110%, you have to be willing to sacrifice your family, willing to you know, sacrifice maybe a location. There's so much that goes into it, especially the music business is such a fickle business. There's no guarantees. You know, there's no, you go to a music school, if you go to Berkeley, if you go to MI, if you go to North Texas State, you know, all these different places, yeah, you're going to learn. No education is a waste. You know, obviously, it's, I don't care what you do, you know, if you take a skydiving course that you learn how to skydive, you know, it's like you, but there's no, everyone thinks they have this misconstrued concept that if you go to a music school that you're going to get discovered and you're going to getting, you know, you know, you have to look at what you want to do. I knew I wanted the longevity in the music business. I knew I wanted to do this till the day I died. Whether I'm rich, poor, famous, unknown, I didn't care, you know, so if you take that oath and you pledge that to yourself, it's you have to be willing to you know get signed in a band and dropped and get a, a tour and you know, get the rug pulled out from underneath you. So if you're willing to do all that, you don't want to quote become a rock star overnight. <laughs> it's uh, then then you know I say go for it. No. Everybody, well, a lot of people know you as a drummer from Corn, obviously, but man, what a career you've had prior to Corn. Quite amazing, actually. Yeah. So um, tell us about David Lee Roth and how that gig came about. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's funny because there's still Corn fans to this day, even on this tour, they come up to me and say, what does it feel like, man? You finally did it. They're like, finally did what? They're like, you're a famous band. And I'm just like, okay. You know, they didn't Google my name, I guess, or something. I don't know. But if they only knew the path, you know, that I took, you know, after graduating from MI, doing all these little independent records, you no one has a crystal ball, so you never know what's going to happen. You know, all these little independent records I did were stepping stones to getting a bigger gig, you know. Um, the, you know, everyone always says, was there luck involved with you getting gigs? And I said, yeah, of course, because you had to be in the right place at the right time. Of course, your hard work and... and practicing your ass off does pay off eventually, but no one cares if you're behind four walls. You know, I had the wrong <clears throat> move to LA. I thought I'm just going to practice so hard. No one can turn me down. Well, that was the wrong thing. It's getting out, going to clubs. I've never been a partier or a drinker, so I couldn't go to these bars and drink with famous people and all that. So, uh, to get something like a David Lee Roth gig, I had to, find out about auditions, you know, get in line with 150 other drummers. So that's what led me to the Jakey Lee gig. I, I, I uh, auditioned with 150 drummers. Jake narrowed it down to 10, narrowed it down to 5, narrowed it down to 2, and then I got the gig. So that was 94. That was kind of my first known guitar player I played with, first real tour. And then that led to several other projects in, in my failed original bands, which we tried very hard to get signed and, you never know what the record labels are looking for. So lo and behold, I did, I did a session on this guitar player's uh, um, album. His name was Mike Hartman, and he was friends with David Lee Roth. And next thing you know, 
Mike gave those two songs to Dave, and Dave said, who's this drummer? I want to use it. I'm going to hire him to do a session. And I was blown away because, you know, childhood dream of mine has been hanging on my door for since I was 10. So uh, I never thought it was an audition. I just went down there to do these two songs with Dave. And he said, hey, kid, it's a pleasure to meet you. And everybody's asking me all these questions and kind of uncomfortably asking me questions like, what if I said swing this? What if I said do a fill here? What if like almost like he was testing me and I'm like, look, man, I've done your two songs. And the next thing you know, the manager called me the next day and said, you passed with flying colors. I'm like, passed what? He goes, that was your audition. Didn't you notice Dave was asking you all these questions? And I'm like, I thought it was kind of weird. I didn't know it was an audition. So that led to eight years in his band. So. Oh, that's amazing. That is really, really cool. So now on the subject of auditions, is there anything that you would recommend to any drummer, bass player, guitar player, singer, anybody that's going along for an audition in general, any advice that you would uh, pass on? Yeah, you know, um, do do more than just your, your homework, you know, really research the artist. If it's someone that's that's been around for a while and has many, many gigs, like, for example, the Jakey Lee gig, um, I've told this story many times, but maybe your 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 listeners won't know. But um, the Jake, you know, they gave us a three song demo to learn, and that was it. Okay, learn these three songs. That's all we want to hear. Well, in my eyes, I'm a big Jake fan. I love Bark at the Moon. I love Ultimate Sin, the two records from Ozzy that he played on. I love Badlands. I love everything that he's done. So I went and learned Jake's entire catalog. You know, just in case. Mm-hmm. There was that rare exception for, and so they, I get to the audition and the guy goes up, you know, they're literally, I'm not, I, I forget, I think I was number 97 or they're literally like on the amps with their heads in their hands. Like, Oh God, here we go again. And I could feel the just lowness in the room. They didn't find their guy. They didn't. And I was like, and I started messing around. I, I set up my drums. They said, what song you want to do first? And they're like, Man, I'm a huge Badlands fan. You know, that Soul Stealer song, what a groove. And Jake's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. What song you want to do? I'm like, we should do Soul Stealer. And he's like, let's just stick to the songs. And and the bass player goes, and he started messing with the riff. And Jake goes, no, you're playing that wrong. It's like this. Next thing you know, they hopped off their amps. They're standing up. They, there's a new energy in the room because they're trying to figure out this song that they haven't done all day. And they're so bored with the other three songs. So next thing you know, we're rocking Soul Stealer, full volume. And... It added this whole new energy to the room, and, and I'm not saying that this is going to work all the times because it doesn't. But that particular incident, it worked, you know. And we didn't even play any of the three songs. We ended up jamming all this other stuff. Next thing you know, Jake's like, "What are you doing tomorrow? Can you come back?" I'm like, "Of course I can." So that works sometimes, you know. Really researching the back artist. If it's a brand new artist, obviously that's the only songs, you know. Um, but you know, the, the normal etiquette, being on time, you know, having your gear together, having, being a professional, all that stuff that really does take hand, you know, show up early, listen to what the other drummers might be playing, and you say, they didn't like that guy, maybe I won't do that. Maybe, you know, there's there's so many factors, you know. Um, I, I haven't got gigs before because I don't have long dreadlocks. I haven't got a gig because I was an African-American one time. I didn't, it was, it's true story. Like, I, you know, um, one band wanted like a weightlifter kind of drummer in the back, and I was too skinny. I mean, you never know what they're looking for. So you can't take it personally when you don't get a gig. Because I, I I didn't get maybe 25 auditions. And I used to get bummed, like, oh, God, I suck. What did I do wrong? Huh? You can't be hard on yourself because you never know what they're looking for. 
That's great advice. It really, really is. Um, let me ask you this too. Oh, is there any piece of advice that you've been given that you've really always remembered? Maybe a line that someone said, perhaps the, the, one of the best pieces of advice you've been given in your career? <coughs> yeah, um, one was from David Lee Roth. Um, and he said, it always stuck in my head, especially with drummers. People think, okay, drummers are in the background. They're holding down the time. That's their job. Don't put a lot of lights on them kind of thing. And Dave's like, Dave had quite the adverse um, comment. He's like, people are paying good money to see you. You're part of the show. Give the give the people a show. And it always stuck in my head. I'm like, what's that mean for a drummer? Because I've always been kind of an animated drummer, you know, mm -hmm. from marching corps, you know. Um, and I hate when I go see a band play and, I, and, and the drummer has that waiting for the bus look on their face or they're bored or, it, you know, I'm always like, I am there to see live entertainment, so let me feel what you're feeling. Let me feel the emotions that are coming out of you. And that goes for all the members, you know. Um, so that really stuck with me. Like, the, you know, just because we're a drummer, yeah, we have to have our timing together. We have to practice with a metronome. We have to learn as many styles as we can. We have to be cool to people. All that stuff comes into play, but that really hit me hard in 97 when Dave told me that. And I think it really threw my other bands, Army of Anyone and now my ninth year starting with corn, um, you'll never catch me uh, being bored back there, you know? So, um, because I'm expressing what I'm feeling through the music, you know, and I think it's important for every musician, you know? Very interesting. Really, really insightful indeed. Now you mentioned your ninth year with corn. You also, also spoke about earlier how the fact that you were, if anything, you over prepare for additions, which is a really good thing, which again is significant when it comes to corn. Now, there's a couple yeah. of couple of different stories that you learned. You were asked to learn something like five songs. You prepared thirty or thirty-five. What's the story? Yeah, because <laughs> it's very, very a couple of different things on the internet about this. So I'm desperate to hear it. Yeah, yeah. They um, corn. There's different. You know, corn sold over thirty-eight. They're pushing forty million records at this time, and uh, back when people were buying rock, rock records, um, you know. I come from a school, the school system where, like I said, be overprepared, learn the, the material. And some of my friends even go as far as charting out the songs. I don't go that nuts. I don't, I'm a memory kind of guy. I like to feel the music. To me, when I read a chart, it's too stiff and it's too robotic because like, I'm paying attention to the figures. I'm not listening enough to what the other musicians are doing. So I will, 10% of my sessions, I'll do a chart. And the other 90, I'll, I'll memorize, even if it's a, very complex thing. I don't care. I have to, I can fall asleep with a CD or, or an MP3 listening to it. And I'll have it down the next morning because that's how I made my living a lot, you know? So when my manager called me, my, my last band army of anyone was just disbanding. Unfortunately, um, that had the stone temple pilot guys and, and Richard from filter singing. We had the same management as corn. And I remember calling up management going, what's going on? You know, they had Terry Bozio doing the record. They had Joey Jordison doing the tour, uh, they had Brooks Wackerman, you know, Mike Borden, all these drummers filling in at different times and the management said, yeah, they're looking for a steady drummer and they really like your, your army of anyone record. And I'm like, wow, that's flattering. You know, um, totally different styles, you know, and, and he goes, you know what? You should go after that gig. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't have dread dreadlocks. I don't have sleeve tattoos. I don't have, I, you know, he goes, neither did the original drummer. He had his buzz cut hair. He didn't really fit their mold. It doesn't really matter, you know. Um, I'm like, wow, I'm like, I will give it a try. And he was like, well, learn these six hits. You know, it was the 
the normal, you know, the freak on a leash and the falling away from me and here to stay, all the big giant hits. And, um, and I said, well, I already know those. Those are in me because I've, you know, I was a fan of corn for years. I d delved deep in the catalog. I'm a huge Terry Bozio fan. So he's played on the last record. So I, first thing I did was learn the entire untitled record entirety. Cause I, he's just such a huge influence on me from way back in the Frank Zappa missing persons days. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of blown away. He was even on a corn record. It was really crazy to me. So learned all that. And then I started really getting in deep into the catalog. I'm like, there's some really interesting stuff here. It's really amazing how they write. And it's not too complex, but there's a beauty about the simplicity of it. It's very simple, but it's so strong. And it sounds like nothing in the world. That's what struck me the most about it. There's a lot of bands try to copy other bands. Like, okay, who's big now? Lamb of God, let's everyone try to sound like them. Mm. You know, Slipknot, let's everyone try to sound like Slipknot. It's like, Korn came out in 94 when STP and Soundgarden and uh, Alice in Chase, all those, you know, Seattle-sounding bands came out. And Korn just kind of carved right through the middle and said, this is who we are. We don't sound like anybody else, you know. So that's another reason why I thought I couldn't play in this band because – it's so unique, and that drummer, the first drummer, sounds. I don't. We don't have anything in common, but we're in the same band together. It's very strange. I respect his drumming a lot, but we don't play anything alike, you know. So, well, the first thing you know, I did. Getting back to your question, um, I started learning all these songs, and I made a list of the songs I could actually get through, and it ended up to be about thirty-three, thirty-five songs. And I handed it to Monkey at the audition, and he goes, "You know all these?" And I go. Yeah, kind of. I can get through him. He's like, that's cool. And he kind of dropped the list on the ground. And I was like, okay. And I was like, uh, I don't know what that, if he liked that or if he didn't like that, you know. And I, we played Freak on a Leash. We played um, Here to Stay. And I said, well, I really want to do some of those Bozio songs. I'm chomping at the bit to, to play Ever Be and a couple other songs. And the monkey's like, you want to play those? And I'm like, like almost like, if you don't play this right, it's going to hurt your audition. You realize that, you know, kind of right. that vibe. And I go, no, no, I want to do it. Let's do Everbeat. And he's like, all right. And the bass player really didn't even, hasn't played that since the record. So yeah. Fieldy was kind of trying to figure it out. And we played it, and they were like, wow, that's really cool. And, and end up to be around six or seven, into the seventh song, they just stopped. And, uh, and they come up to me and with cameras and everything and said, you know, we're not going to look any further. Welcome to the band. We'll see you in Dublin. And Dublin was my first gig with Korn. And uh, very strange, you know, was, I was I was so taken back by the auditions actually on YouTube for your listeners that can watch it. Uh, you can see this. Everyone's like, why didn't you freak out when they told you? I'm like, I was stunned. I was completely, you know, I was like, wow, cool. Thanks. This is going to be fun. It's going to be really cool. I didn't know what, what I was saying because I really didn't even believe it. You know, it hit me about two days later. I was like. Corn, like I'm gonna be the drummer in Corn. Like I, it was really surreal to me, you know. So, um, I always get flack about that audition uh, YouTube video because they're like, "You weren't even excited." And I'm like, "Come on, man!" It was. <laughs> oh, that's that's wag story. That's uh, that's definitely going to be the first thing I watch on YouTube after we finish talking. That's great. <laughs> now, yeah. um, I posted up on Facebook and stuff that you were going to be on. So we've got some. I've got some questions from the listeners, okay? Sure. Uh, Logan White is asking, what gig would you describe as giving you your big break? Now, it's an interesting question because, of course, we know Corn, we know about David Lee Roth. What would you perceive as the, the kind of big break? You know, what's interesting about that is 
the Jakey Lee gig, I thought, you know, getting, I was 24 at the time, 23 when I got the gig, 24 when I started touring. And I thought, wow, he's so famous that it's going to make me famous, you know, and, and, and it kind of didn't. <laughs> so it was like, I'm out there playing 22 shows in a row at the clubs. And it, it was a very interesting band because they had a really, really heavy singer before Rob Zombie and, and Manson kind of hit. He had that kind of a voice, you know, his name's Mandy Lyon. He's used to sing in a band, World War III. If you research World War III, you'll hear this monstrosity of vocals. And anyway, people didn't really get it. You know, they were so taken back by, do I like this? Do I hate it? I don't know. And it was a good gig, but no one really knew who I was. Um, and then, you know, I got the David Lee Roth gig. Meanwhile, I'm doing all these sessions. In the meantime, I'm doing a lot of different sessions. Um, when I got the David Lee Roth gig, he kind of didn't want us doing press. So I was like, wait, I got, now I'm in arenas and I'm playing festivals and, and he doesn't want me to do a modern drummer interview. He didn't want me. So I'm like, Oh God, this is killing me. You know, people, now people don't know who I am and I'm playing giant gigs, you know? So a couple years into the band, I've, I had a sit down with Dave and I go, look, I really love this gig, but I want to do press so people know who I am. So he started letting me do press and then that kind of led. So that might be my first where people, kind of started figuring out who I was. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things like, if you were a Stone Temple Pilots fan, you know, when I got the Army of Anyone gig, like, who's the drummer's going to play with my favorite band? So it, little by little, I think it led to this moment where I'm at today. You know, it took me, I wasn't definitely one, wasn't an overnight sensation. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Kieran Payton is asking, if there's any corn gig that you've played so far that perhaps stands out as your favorite or maybe list a couple of your, your favorites over time, any that spring to mind? Um, the, the first one, definitely, because I was dry heaving in the dressing room, I think. <laughs> I'll never forget those first two nights in Dublin, uh, just because I, I literally, I, looked, I peeked out the curtain, and meanwhile, my band never rehearsed, so I didn't, it was really hard, like, never did a rehearsal, and then to go out in front of these rabid fans that have every album tattooed down, I mean, they're diehard fans, you know, I peeked around the curtain, and I just saw these the way they look and I'm like wow this is so that's definitely sticks out um I would say um Donington in in 2010 was one of the biggest gigs it was it was about a hundred thousand people and you could when you hit your kick drum or you hit a drum and, and you're and you're keeping a beat and you could see the wave of the beat go way back because of the time lapse when there's yeah. that many people you're playing to and you see a wave it's, it's the most surreal thing, you know, so um, music's so powerful, you know, we can, uh, me personally, this tour I love because it's intimate setting, you know, we're celebrating 20 year anniversary, we're doing kind of House of Blues to theaters, and I love that it, nothing escapes, everyone's right in your face, but there's nothing like playing a giant crowd, you know. That's, that's brilliant. Now, um, do you remember playing in Glasgow in January there? Obviously you do tons and tons of gigs. Um, yes. And what's interesting here is I got a question from Lucy McKenzie, who promotes gigs at the Hard Rock Cafe. Now she's asking if Fieldy or any of the members of Slipknot mentioned when they were at the Hard Rock Cafe the night before the Glasgow show, did they mention anything about the fire alarm going off and them all having to stand outside in the pouring rain and everybody was walking by and members seeing members of Slipknot and Corn? Does this ring a bell at all? I don't know if you were there. <coughs> I wasn't there, but my bass player, Fieldy, 
every hard rock that's anywhere near he goes to so i'm almost positive he was there and uh, i'm a positive some of the slipknot guys were there but i wasn't personally but that totally sounds like something that would uh happen you know? that sounds very very feasible indeed chris mcmullen is asking um you played the download festival on your birthday that must have been quite a cool birthday and he said well, he was there and he said that you really stood out what are your memories of that gig yeah i mean again you know playing in front of that many people it's it's surreal to, uh and then when i think it was a uh, head that went up to the microphone and said uh it's our drummer's birthday let's sing to him so when you have all those people singing to that's even 10 that's beyond chills you know it's like uh um we my my manager just started a youtube page for me and your listeners can actually watch that it's on my youtube channel i don't have i didn't really launch it yet but it's it exists there's about 15 videos up right now that's one of the videos on there so it's pretty cool. That's going to be the second YouTube video I watch uh, <laughs> after the audition from Furcon all those years ago. Now, lastly, what if there, is there anybody that you would like to collaborate with, work with at all, that you've not had the opportunity yet? Any bass players, guitar players, singers spring to mind at all? There's always people. I mean, I, uh, I, one of my biggest dreams came true uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, I'm in a side band, and your listeners can check it out. It's called KXM, and... There's a ton of great videos on it too. We we documented everything behind, but it, it features George Lynch from Dockin and Lynch Mob and Doug Pinnick from King's X. Doug's one of my favorite singers. I've always been into um, heavy riffs with beautiful melodies over top. So yeah. King's X has always been one of my favorite bands. And I said, before I die, I want to play on a record with George Lynch and uh, Doug Pinnick. So um, there's three great videos. That should be your third YouTube videos, the KXM. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, we made some really, really cool videos, and so that that was kind of surreal to me. And I'm really proud of that record. It's out. Um, um, they're actually you know, on Ear Music in Europe, and over by you, you can get this. So, um, uh, as far as anyone else, it's every time we're on, we do a tour or we play with someone. I'm always like, God, I'd love to get in a room and just see what would happen. You know, mm-hmm. um, Corey Taylor from Slipknot. I have so much respect for that guy because he puts a mask on, sweats his balls off, screams his balls off, and sings a slipknot. But then if you hear his side bands and then Stone Sour, he's got one of those beautiful, powerful voices. You know, I really want to do something with him someday. And, um, I keep hitting it at him. Every time we're together, I always say, man, what are we going to do something? He's like, um, um, I'm on the last couple of Billy Sheehan records. You know, I'd love to see what would happen with a band with like, you know, Billy and, and um, but I'm also, I, I go off the left field. Like, I love people like Seal, the pop singer. Right, yeah. You know, I love, like, I'm not just a rock and metalhead. I, I listen to everything. So um, I'd love to see what would happen, you know, get in a room with, like, you know, Dean DeLeo from, from Army Band with Sun Double Pilots and Seal and, like, Billy Sheehan or something on bass, just to see what crazy stuff we could come up with, you know, some monstrosity and, so I always think about that stuff all the time, like taking extreme players, not of the same styles, you know, mm-hmm. and because uh, music is music, you know what I mean? A good song is a good song at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what stylistic, you know, you are, you know. Ray, it's been an absolute pleasure. Great chat. Uh, look forward to, to seeing you when you come back with the Corn Guys or indeed the new mad band that you just described with Billy Sheen on yes. bass, Corey Taylor yeah, yeah. on vocals or whoever <laughs> it may be. Eh? You never know. <laughs> Uh, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. And I'll see you at the next show.
Okay, we are back on the Talk Music Podcast, and I'm with none other than Romania's greatest violin player, Nora Deborah Allison Francesca Sophie David John Juliet Romeo William Shakespeare Francesca Deborah David John Romeo Germain. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, wonderful. It's wonderful to be here. Excuse me. Yeah. Forget about Spider-Man, Superman, and Batman. I'll mm-hmm. be your man. Oh, yeah. Keep talking, baby. Excuse me. Yeah. Can I follow you home? Because my parents always told me to follow my dreams. take a hike excuse me hi because of you i laugh a little harder cry a little less and smile a lot more oh that's sweet keep talking excuse me hi was your dad a boxer because you're a knockout oh yeah i like it keep talking excuse me hi you shouldn't wear makeup because it's messing with perfection. Ooh, that's a good one, actually. That's good. Yeah. Okay, keep talking. Is this guy ever going to just ask if he can buy me a drink? I mean, these are so lavish, you know? I've got one even better than that. Okay. Excuse me. Hi. Is your dad a drug dealer? Because you're so dope. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, take a hike for the dope man. Right, hold on, hold on. Right, a couple more. This is good. This is a good game. Right, hold on. I've got loads here. I've got loads here. Oh, here's a good one. Excuse me. Hey. I bet you 20 bucks you're going to turn me down. Ooh. 20 bucks. So, does that mean if I no, say no... no Nora's, just, Nora's just finding... Nora's trying to find a way to advertise a pledge campaign. As soon as the subject of money gets brought up, Nora's thinking, uh, how can I spin this to go, well, if you really want to give me money, pledgemusic.com forward slash enemy sort of What would you say as a result? Actually, I think I, I'm so good that I actually get other people to do that for me, which you just walked into that one, so I'm just going to say... So, here's another thing, though. So, you're betting me 20 bucks that I'm going to turn you down. So, if I turn you down, then you give me the money? Um, so, then, so, so, then the woman has to choose between getting 20 bucks and saying yes. Right? Yeah. I think so. <sighs> I wouldn't turn him down. I would say keep talking. Nice. Right. Excuse me. Hi. If nothing lasts forever, will you be my nothing? Oh. Uh, no. Stupid. Yeah, because you're basically calling the person nothing. Well, I don't like the idea of forever. It's scary. So I would say uh, take a hike. Last one. Yeah. Excuse me. Hello. How was heaven when you left it? <laughs> it was a windy shithole. 
Nora, you finished the first draft of your book. Tell me about it. Another windy shithole. Everything's a windy shithole these days. No, I'm just kidding. Book is sweet. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, we've got like 60,000 words now, so might become a little bit longer or shorter, depending on how the editing goes. But yeah, rough draft is done. Really happy. Um, you're in it, Scott. Hit me. About what? Explain how I'm in it. Oh, well, I'm talking about all my um, all my friends. And there's a little section for you. I talk about this podcast and how much fun I have on the whole thing and the love advice. And it's all really funny. I mean, you know, so you've got a little section in there. I know you wanted to be in there. Um, I know you wanted to have a chapter for every year of your life. And then me <laughs> go about that. But I'm sorry, we couldn't quite go that far. But um, yeah, so there you go. It's, I'm really excited. It's very exciting. And of course, you've been gigging. All is happening. Check out norajermain.com. Anything else to advertise, Nora Germain? Um, just you, Scott. I think we should advertise you more. Go for it. Go for it. You, I'm always advertising you. So this is your platform. Tell everybody what I'm up to. Tell everybody where they can check me out. And tell everything that everybody needs to know. Go for it. Okay, everyone, Scott is cool, okay? You have to share the podcast with people. You have to go into the street, slap a whole lady, and tell her, listen to the thing. Isn't that what you said, Scott? Excuse me? Didn't you say that you have to go onto the street and if you find an old lady, to slap her and say, listen to the Talk Music podcast? Isn't that what you said? I did not say that, but what I can say is that you can find links for KXM and the latest corn vids on YouTube. Share it. And also, there's a 20-year photo book that Ray mentioned earlier on pledgemusic.com forward slash corn. Make sure you YouTube Ray's videos that he was talking about earlier because that's exactly what I'm going to do once this podcast is finished. Oh, I forgot there's one more thing. Hit me. And... Don't forget to keep writing in to Scott because your questions and comments and requests for things to talk about are very funny. So you have to write in music at gmail.com, baby! Boom shakalak, nor in fact, one final thing. One final thing. Excuse, yes. excuse me. Yes. Baby, I'm no Fred Flintstone. But I will make your bedrock. Ah, uh, keep talking. Yeah, and you, you see, you know what Nora, you know how Nora ticks these days, ladies and gentlemen. And anyway, norajermain.com, scottcowie.com. Like this podcast, subscribe, share, tell a friend, punch somebody in the street, especially if they're over the age of 60. I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> iTunes, SoundCloud. Audio Boom, ScottHowie.com, uh, RedTube. Uh, we will see you guys next week. Nora, any final words? Go vegan! Excuse me. <laughs> yes? <laughs> I love you like a pig loves not being bacon. I like it, yes. See you guys next week! Woo!
Scott, you're such a dummy. We're gonna call them the assholes. Sorry. <laughs> in fact, we're gonna keep this whole bit in. I forgot to mention everybody. Next week, we've got the one, the only, John Fratelli for the Fratellis. It's coming next week. See y'all later.